Midnight Chats. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Rory. And I'm Jay. And this is Midnight Chats, an Octivigant companion show where we sit down with your favorite paranormal authors, investigators, and researchers and have a chat about their work, the phenomenon, and all the strangeness in between. On this episode, we are joined by author, investigator, radio host, and founder of the Forever Family Foundation, Robert Ginsburg. And it was so much fun. Yeah. What an interesting, but just interesting uh, interview that we had with all sorts of really fascinating conversation about mediums. Yeah, I mean, he he very clearly knows his stuff. And also uh, his personal stories are outstanding. Oh, yeah. Quite frankly, uh, he's had tons, you know, 20 years of experience with Mm -hmm. mediums. He Mm -hmm. is a very good natured and sweet individual. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, sweet. That's a good word. I like that because I definitely got that that uh, that vibe too. like that. That is definitely. Yeah. Hit the nail on the head. Right well, there. And he seems to come from a good place. He mm-hmm. understands that it is a field where there are, you know, predatory frauds out there. Mm-hmm. And he is dedicated to be a force against them effectively. Yeah, he was even kind enough to give us some tips and tricks on how to figure that out. And by us, we mean you, our listeners, because, yeah. you know, you should listen to the interview. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably going to listen to the interview because you clicked on the episode. Or that they were just listening while washing the dishes. And this is just the one that started playing next. In which case you missed the spot. All right, let's get into the interview. <laughs> let's go. line with robert ginsburg how are you doing bob uh, i'm doing uh, i'm doing fine and thank you for inviting me uh to pleasure to be with you with you tonight yeah pleasure to have you here thanks again. absolutely we were uh thrilled when we found out we'd be able to get um you know, one of the founders of the forever family foundation yeah. on our show uh we were very very interested in your work after reading leslie Keene's surviving death um, so kind of getting into this, there is a first question we want to ask before, obviously, we get into uh, uh, all the talk of mediumship, which we like to ask all of our uh, guests on this show is what are you currently reading uh, and what sort of books do you tend to gravitate towards? You know, I, I spent um, the last 20 years reading in about one to two book, uh, books per week because I was interviewing people on the radio show and I, and, and it was, it got overwhelming mm-hmm. and I kind of got burnt out with reading because it was all, it was all nonfiction. Mm-hmm. It was all about, you know, science and, and philosophy and evidence of, of uh, that were more than a, you know, physical bodies and so forth. So 
Right now, I am not reading anything. I'm taking a break from reading. <laughs> hey, that's, <laughs> I'm that's <writing> fair. <laughs> and I'm, I'm enjoying that. But I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, I have a, a library in the house now with literally about 1,500 books. And, and um, somebody, it's funny. Somebody asked me the other day to recommend a specific book. And I had a hard time. You know, I'm staring at them all, you know, because <laughs> they've become a, bl- a blur. But most of what I've read... Uh, I used to enjoy reading, you know, novels and and uh, circumstances in my life. Uh, I just was on a path on that left brain scientific, you know, path, and I kind of gave that all up. So um, I wish I could give you a better answer, but right now I'm not reading any book of interest. <laughs> oh, that that's a great answer, though. Uh, I think it's something we very much understand. Obviously, we we read a lot for our show, and I've certainly felt uh, something approaching that burnout, though nothing close to, you know, I imagine it feels after 20 years mm-hmm. um so speaking of that uh for our listeners who may be less familiar with your work would you be willing to give us a quick rundown on the origins and mission of the forever family foundation yeah you know um well first of all the the, the mission of the foundation is to educate the public about evidence uh, showing that we're more than our physical bodies and our specific interest is in life after death or an afterlife. And in the process, uh, the information that we provide helps the bereaved. So those are our two missions, educating the public and, and supporting the bereaved. Um, you know, if we had this interview 20 years ago, I would have thought the subject matter was woo-woo, you know, bullshit. <laughs> and and I, because I was a, you know, logical left brain thinker. And, you know, we talk about, you know, in the field, we talk about survival of consciousness and, you know, what could possibly survive, you know, in my mind, you know, you, we are our, our brains and our brains are no more and death is final. Um, and then, you know, my life changed, uh, you know, we had, uh, in 2002, one morning, my wife woke up um, at three in the morning and she was petrified and she was trembling and she was ashen white. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, something horrible is going to happen today. And I said, well, what does that mean? You know, and she said, something devastating is going to happen today. I can't put my finger on it, but, you know, we have to be careful. And I, I did what any parent would do. And I watched over my three kids um, that entire day, you know, uh, mm-hmm. my son uh, was going back to college. My daughter started her freshman year. She was already at school. And my youngest was working um, one last day in a part time job before returning to school. Make a long story short, uh, I mean, I let my guard down at night. It faded from my awareness. And my son and my daughter were in a horrible crash. And my daughter didn't survive her injuries. And my 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 son had, you know, uh, significant, you know, brain injuries. And, you know, after emerging about a month later, when a, my, my son came out of a coma and it was clear that we were going to uh, that he wasn't going to, you know, die as well. I remember that morning and I said, wait a second, how did Fran, my wife, know? Because she knew she was shaking. And that started me on a journey of you know meeting with various scientists and medical doctors um, and researchers across the United States that studied consciousness. Because in my mind, I had to know not only how my wife knew that this was going to happen, but was it possible that my daughter survived in some form? You know, mm-hmm. so that started my mission. Uh, you know, uh, my wife uh, had, was more uh, of a spiritual person than I was. And the two of us 
kind of converged and eventually we started the foundation. And then, you know, I, we started the foundation and I tell people today, although we help people today, that wasn't my motivation. My motivation was my own survival. You know, I was a basket case. I didn't see how I was going to, you know, survive and live my life. And um, so I was for the first few years, um, I was using it as a, as a cathartic way of releasing my own emotions, Mm -hmm. but that changed obviously, you know, over the years and uh, the interest, I was amazed, uh, you know, that right now we, we have about 12,000 members and interest keeps growing. And you, as you see, they Netflix did the documentary mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we look at the media and there's an interest. I think part of it has to do with the age that we live in, you know, with the pandemic and pe- people are starting to question their own mortality. Whereas in years past, they didn't give it a second thought and trying to find some meaning and purpose and support. So, People come to us for all different reasons. But so what we do is we're, we're really an outreach organization. We don't do our own research, but we we support the research of others, uh, you know, and then, you know, we have a radio show. We have webinars, uh, you know, the website. We have these grief retreats that are very helpful. So that's in a nutshell, that's a long winded answer. to your question. <laughs> that's a great answer. Um, so. Uh, in that, I guess, uh, timeline, when about did you guys begin the process of, I, I'm not tra- sure the right word, accrediting mediums or testing mediums? Uh, in 2005, um, I was mentored by a couple of leading um, scientists that study mediumship in university settings. And we, you know, uh, after meeting with them, you know, I developed my own evidence based uh, evaluation process. Um, and we've been evaluating the evidence that mediums provide since then. Um, one of the reasons that I, I wrote the book, The Medium Explosion, is based upon my own data and, and my own experience um, being immersed in the mediumship world. I estimate that 85 to 90 percent of all the practicing mediums that are out there today cannot do what they claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not suggesting that they're all frauds, although some are, mm-hmm. uh, but the vast majority are um, have some intuitive, intuitive ability, but they haven't perfected or honed their abilities or skills or whatever you want to call it to the point where they can communicate on a consistent basis, you know, with discarnate entities. So, um, and it's a problem because you have people, you know, today, I mean, Let's face it, people that go see mediums are in grief because they mm-hmm. lost somebody and they may be on the fence and just hanging on by a thread and they go to the medium. And if they get a poor reading or a fraudulent reading or a non-evidential reading, they may walk away from there um, in worse shape than when they got there. And just think there there is no other profession, that, especially in the mental health field, where you're, you're sitting with bereaved people and there's no certification. I mean, there's no licensing. There's no there are no ethical or profession proficiency standards. Mm-hmm. You know, tomorrow, you know, Nick, you could hang up a shingle. I'm Nick, the medium, start charging five hundred dollars for a reading and <laughs> let it rip. You know, so, you know, it, it's uh, I see it as a problem. I'm, I'm really upset about it. There's an explosion of these mediums on every every corner. And and uh, uh, one of the things that we hope is maybe someday we can start um, 
examining and, and, and licensing medium, so to speak. It's, it's not going to be an easy task, but it might happen. Yeah. You're not wrong too. Like, especially when you say like, there's been like a medium explosion, like the title of your book, because in the, I mean, I've, I've been to, I went to like three conventions this last year and I, I have to say probably 40% or more of the tables that were there were all mediums, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, yeah. it's like, you'd think for something so rare or seemingly so rare, that's a lot of, that's a lot of people, you know? Oh Yeah. You're right. And, 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 you know, there, there is a difference between providing psychic information and mediumistic information, mm-hmm. although the process is the same because essentially mediumship is mind to mind communication. It's just that one of the parties, the person in, in the spirit realm doesn't no longer has a body, but it's still consciousness and it's still mind to mind communication. So, and, and that presents a problem in evaluating the evidence because, mm-hmm. um, you might say, you might be the medium or the psychic and you say to me, Bob, I see that you just painted your bedroom blue. And let's say I just did paint my bedroom blue. Well, that that's an amazing piece of information. Um, no easy task to, to, to state that, but it does nothing to prove that there's an afterlife, you know, right. it's just, you're able to, you know, whereas if you're bringing through my, you know, deceased daughter and you're giving me specific information, you know, hit after hit. And then you say to me, Hey, Bob, your daughter wants me to tell you that she likes, you know, that you just painted your bedroom blue. That takes on a different meaning because I've already established the connection. Now I'm giving a message. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And also, you know, you gave me a new retirement plan. If I just, you know, loosen up my ethics a little bit more. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Why not? Everybody else is doing. Yeah. Uh, Well, now, so let's imagine that one of us here at Noctivigan signed up to be tested through the Forever Family Foundation program. As much as you can, can you walk us through what that process would look like for us? Yeah. You know, it's a long process. And and by the way, uh, no medium. We don't charge anybody to go through it. I mean, that would dilute the integrity of the program. So no right. money ever exchanges hands. Matter of fact, the membership is free in the foundation too. I mean, everything that we do, all the core services are free of charge. So the first thing that a medium does is when they go on our website, there are instructions if they're interested to send an email to us. They send an email, then we send out um, a series of four or five questions just to feel them out where they're where they're at. Um, those questions get answered. They get reviewed. Uh, if we think we should go further, we would invite them to fill out an application. Now, it's an extensive application. You know, it's probably like seven pages long and, and it has oh, wow. a lot of information. And frankly, out of every 10 applications we send out, maybe we get one back because people think they're going to send us a hundred bucks. We're going to give them a certificate, you know, like a mail order reverend, you know, and then they're going to become a certified medium when they see what's involved, you know, usually stops there. But then, you know, they send us back an application. It's reviewed by a committee uh, and that committee um, studies the application of depth. And then then we decide whether we want to move forward if we do. Then we ask the medium to, to to sit for a 45 to 50 minute interview with a member of our medium advisory board. And if that all works and, and that's recommended, we go forth, then we invite them to participate in a session. And in a session, um, they do a series of readings for five different sitters and all the sitters are trained by me um, in how to evaluate the evidence. Um, and then if, if they 
meet the minimum proficiency standards. You know, they granted certification. We put them up on, on our website. Um, but, you know, going back to what I said originally, since 2005, only, you know, one out of 10 mediums have gained certification. So nine out of 10 don't, you know, so it's, right. we set the bar very high. Um, it's not a foolproof system, but we what we found over the years is that the mediums that we've certified um, are a lot more consistent. They rarely have a bad day. They rarely don't make a connection. A lot of them have gone on to participate in research, mediumship research in universities. Um, I said, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately for us, is that many of them have become famous. And the reason I say it's unfortunate is because we set up the program as a resource for the bereaved. But what happens when somebody gets famous? They start having waiting lists like three right. years long and they start charging a ridiculous amount of money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it doesn't really serve our purpose anymore. If you're bereaved and you really want to see a medium and you find out you got to wait on a waiting list for three years. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to um, identify more and more qualified mediums and we're really gearing the program up again because of the renewed interest. So um, hopefully we'll be able to add to our list. It's interesting that you um, mentioned that just because I was seeing, I saw a thread earlier today of people discussing mediums and a prevailing sentiment that I've seen in some paranormal circles is that if you can see a medium immediately, obviously they're fraudulent, they're no good. But if And if there's a waiting list, well, obviously you're giving them too much time to look you up so it's fraudulent you know, it's kind of this <laughs> yeah. catch 22 situation yeah on that topic of frauds though i'm curious have you had um i mean i know you said not everyone that you test and don't uh, pass is fraudulent have you had anyone try to kind of game the system or uh fraud their way through the process or does it usually not get that far yeah well they they can't uh, gain their way through our process because we we control everything. You know, we make sure that the sitters don't know the mediums and the mediums don't know the sitters. And, um, you know, uh, four of the, the, the readings take place. Um, it's not blinded. They could see each other. And one of the readings, you know, they can't. It's just audio only. But um, if we were conducting research, they would be blinded uh, proxy sitters, but that's not our purpose. You know, we, right. it's not, we don't do it as a scientific experiment. So, but back to your, your question, they can't, um, you know, uh, really do, you know, pass their certification um, uh, by Freud with us, but, you know, think about it, you know, mediumship was really, really popular in the Victorian era, you know, like a mm -hmm. hundred years ago. I mean, there, there were, you know, um, there was an explosion then of mediums, but there were seances because that was like the center of, of activity. There's, there was no internet, you know, there, there, there right. no movies. I mean, that was, you know, that was entertainment. And there were a lot of frauds then, but there were a lot of really good mediums. But today, you know, with a with one click, you could find out so much information about mm -hmm. somebody, and it's a real concern. One of the mediums that that's that I like very much, that's certified by our foundation, told me a few months ago he caught another medium who was doing a reading. You know, now the mediums because of the pandemic that they do the readings on Zoom. You mm -hmm. know, so in Zoom, you usually have the person's first and last name. So this medium was doing this reading for a sitter and on one side of the screen. The medium had opened Zoom and on the other side of the screen that they had opened the person's Facebook account. Uh. They looked him up on Facebook. 
and he's oh and he watched, God. and the medium was literally spitting back all the information that they that they they saw on the Facebook page. Yeah. Total fraud. But the sitter never had any idea and they said, wow, this medium is great. You know, this medium, how could they should possibly know that? And yet it was a total fraudulent reading. So it is a legitimate concern today, especially mm-hmm. now that you, that, that, you know, most of the memes are doing it online. So it, it so people um, should be very careful not to provide um, information to the medium, you know, first name should be enough. Um, and you don't want to give any information to the medium, uh, that they could take advantage of. Now, I mean, an evidential professional medium is not going to resort to that, but unfortunately, you know, there are a lot that that would. In the day and age of, uh, uh, of a million different social medias, you never know. Mm Yeah. 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 And it's really incredible the amount of information you could get, you know, oh, people's yeah. children, the way that they die, their hobbies, their likes, their dislikes, you know, uh, where they vacation. I mean, everything is available. Mm-hmm. If you have enough lead time and you have enough resources, it's not that hard to hire a private detective who just starts going through people's trash. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you have to have safeguards, you know, and people often ask, and, and since we started the foundation back in, in 2004 is when we really got started, um, I had I have never gotten a reading from one of our certified mediums. And people sometimes are shocked by that. And there's very good reason for it because the mediums know my story, you know, or right. at least they know a good part of it. So I, I can't trust the information, even though I know they're excellent um, and honest mediums, you know, I, I can't trust the information the way I think because th- they already knew some of that. So, right. um, so if I went to see a medium, it would be a medium that I didn't know, you know, that, yeah. that was right. As, as a matter of fact, if you if you watch the Netflix um, uh, series, there is a medium that was not certified by the foundation at the time. Her name was Sandra O'Hara, who the unfortunately passed passed away recently. But oh, no. um, uh, yeah, and and she um, and you mentioned Nick uh, reading Wesley Kane's book. You know, mm-hmm. so Wesley Kane when she was researching the book. Um, went to Sandra and mm-hmm. and got a personal reading from her. And then Leslie called me up because she knew about, you know, that we certified mediums and she wanted to know if she, uh, if she could bring the transcript of her readings with Sandra to me. And so I would score the reading with her to, to determine the medium's accuracy. And she brought two readings and, you know, I went over it with Leslie and I was really blown away. I mean, Sandra had like a 90%, you know, accuracy, incredible. So uh, my wife passed away uh, last year and, and uh, Wesley, you know, called me up and she said, well, you want to get a reading? And if you want, I'll hook you up with Sandra. And I because I didn't know who Sandra was. And I said, all right, but on one condition, I'm only going to give my first name, you know, Bob, and you have to do me a favor and you have to pay the medium out of your PayPal account and I'll reimburse you because I didn't want any, any trail because, yeah. you know, she could look it up. Yeah. And, and, and we did the reading and I got a, an incredible, a very evidential reading that, um, uh, which I, I kind of expected based upon her history. So those were the conditions that I went through. And then I was really happy about the reading because I knew that, you know, there couldn't have been, she couldn't have looked me up. And Bob is a pretty popular name. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. so 
if you're when you're sitting down with a medium or when we sit down with mediums, what are some, I guess, red flags that people should keep an eye out for to determine if they're dealing with someone who legitimately is providing information from a discarded entity? Yeah, well, you know, some of the mediums like a, which, uh, a medium might uh, I've seen mediums say to the sitter, who do you want to hear from? Uh, and, you know, tell me who you want to hear from, which is, a, in my mind, that's a no-no. I mean, right. they're supposed to tell you who's coming through, not, you know, uh, you know, and 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 they realize when they're sitting with with sitters that uh, sitters are bereaved and they desperately want to believe that they're communicating with their loved one and they'll latch on to the most general statements, you know, and the medium might, um, you know, they might repeat the same statement several different times in the reading to give the appearance that they're getting, you know, more hits. Mm -hmm. But when the the medium should not be asking you questions. Um, So, I mean, don't get me wrong. When a medium gives a statement, then they need to ask you a question. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, but the medium shouldn't be asking what your relationship was with a certain person and their likes or dislikes or, you know, that they did you shouldn't be feeding the medium, as we like to say, you know, so right. you have to be careful. You give them very little information. It's important to let them know whether they're on, they're on the right track. Um, and, um, you know, what I, I always recommend that somebody record the, the session for a lot of reasons. You know, one, uh, sometimes you hear something that you think the medium said, but then when you go to play it back, they didn't really say it. Mm-hmm. Um uh, or um, there's another reason because uh, if you get a really strong reading, it, it's it's great if when you're feeling really low, you could play that recording and say, right. wait a second, it has to be my loved one, you know. So, um, but and there are mediums that I'll say I I hear mediums say uh, that they don't allow recordings, and the sitter will say why, and I said because it affects. Uh, because it never works because the electronics get, you know, affected by spirit. That's a crock, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're usually hiding the fact, you know, they didn't want to see the, you know, they're reading out there in public, you know, that, you know, because a non-evidential reading. So if you can't bring a, a recorder with you, you should, you know, take notes, you know, that you can refer back to, but um, you know, and sometimes also a sitter, you know, let's say uh, you bring, you know, the medium will bring through their deceased son and, you know, and the, and the medium will say, is your son, you know, deceased? And then, and then all of a sudden the, the sitter says, yeah, you know, and, and you know, and, and, and that's my son, Tim, and he played lacrosse and he was on the debate team and, yeah. and they start giving the medium all that information, which is not fair to the legitimate medium, you know, because right. now they, you know, they can't give you that information. So um, I, I would, you know, just pay attention, be open. You know, a lot of people go to a medium usually expecting or hoping to hear from one specific person. And if that connection is not made, but, you know, you know, Uncle Joe is coming through or a grandfather or a grandmother or something, you, it's it's you have to be fair to the medium and, 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 and score it. And you may be disappointed and or not expect whoever is coming through, but you, you have to remain open to the process. Oh, that's that's interesting. Seizing upon something that you mentioned there, uh, the you know, some people believing that electronic equipment won't work around the spirits or things like that. Are there any other uh, myths or misconceptions about mediumship that you've encountered in your work? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I always encounter is that, you know, people, when they go to see a medium, they'll, they'll, they'll say they went to a psychic. They don't see the difference between the two. And, and as I mentioned, there, there is a difference between mm-hmm. psychic information and mediumistic, you know, information. Um, and people, um, you know, they think that, and even mediums have said to me that I get all psychic information from the spirit world. Um, so I don't, I can't say that they don't, but, you know, you have to, uh, you know, be able to d- differentiate, you know, the, the, also, sometimes I'll also say to a medium in one of the questions that we ask them, what do you think is more important, the evidence or the messages? And I'm shocked that a lot of, you know, mediums will reply, well, it's the message of love that's the most important. And, I hate that answer because, <laughs> you know, telling me that my that my deceased person loves me, that's great. You know, but like, let's say it's how many moms don't love their kids and, you right. know, and such a general statement. But if but if you're bringing through my mother and you're giving me all these specific specifics, then if you want to give me a message from my mother, I can accept it. Right. But, you know, a lot of these mediums, they think their job is done if they tell you that, you know, mom loves you and they're proud of you and, you know, and, and they, they've done their job. You know, that's not mediumship, <laughs> you know, so for, first the evidence comes first, the messages come after. I, I, I like that because I, I agree with that, like wholeheartedly, like I like the message, like obviously, like if I go to a medium and I'm, I'm there and I want to hear from my grandma or whoever it is, like, obviously I want the, I want to hear that, but I also want to know that it's actually them, not just you delivering the message that I already know, you know, right. cause I know my grandma loves me and wh- whoever it is, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and, and, um, I mean, it's obvious, well, you know, if you're the if you're the medium and you're giving me a reading and you're looking at me, you know, I mean, you can see approximately how old I am. And you say to me, Bob, I have your your grandmother here. Is your grandmother in spirit? Well, hell, yeah. You know, she'd be 120 now. So it's a good bet. You know? So it's not, it's not very evidential. But if you say to me, wait, I have, you know, your grandmother, Rebecca here, you know, and right. my grandmother's name was Rebecca, you know, that, that piece of information should be scored more heavily. than we do in the, in the testing uh, process, because it's a specific piece of information. You know, I, I look at mediumship as one example of, of life after death, mm-hmm. you know, one, one discipline of research, but we're also interested in, in, um, it was a misconception that the foundation is an organization of mediums, which we're not. I mean, we we're interested in near death experiences and, and deathbed visions, you know, uh, after death communications, reincarnation, um, even electronic voice phenomena, is, is, you know, is, is evidential. Um, I mean, I, I'll tell you a quick one. Um, after my, my wife passed, there's a medium that we're, uh, we were very we're, we are very friendly with my good friend of my wife. And um, she, unrelated to her mediumship, she liked to experiment with EVP. And she mm-hmm. said to me, she told me that she was going to write a series of seven to eight questions every week. And then, you know, uh, asked my wife, friend, you know, to, to answer these questions and then, you know, play back the tape. And um, and then uh, this medium, Janet, would send me the the uh, the audio file, you know, afterwards. And one question that she asked my wife was, um, she said, Fran, what's the name of the organization that you founded and you hear on the tape Forever Family Foundation? Oh, wow. Wow. 
And wow. another um, uh, question, it happened to be my birthday. And she said, you know, friend, do you have any message for Bob? And I heard happy birthday, you know, so uh, those to me are um, I was always fascinated by EVP because it's something that we have tangible physical evidence for. I can right. hear it, you know, as you know, and I have a rec- recording of it. Um, and with EVP, you know, what I what I like to do, you know, we used to have these discussion groups. We don't have it anymore. We stopped it when COVID hit. But um, I would take some of these recordings and I would bring them into the group and I'd play it in front of 20 people. Because if I play the recording and one person out of the 20, um, you know, guesses correctly what what was said, that's not really very evidential. But if there's, you know, 20 people in the group and all 20 hear clearly what was said, you know, it's hard to make the argument that um, everybody was just trying to make sense out of gibberish. You know, everybody's brain couldn't work the same way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, uh, investigators of EVP, as you probably know, they they classify them class A, class B, class mm-hmm. C. The class C are somewhat unintelligible and they're really not um uh, very evidential, but things like happen, you know, with with my wife saying that the class A's and if you can eliminate fraud, which I think in, in my case I could, um, it really is very evidential. You know, we don't know how the process works, but some discarnates are able to imprint their their voice onto um, recording you know, devices. Have, have you like, or like within the foundation used that, like used EVP technology to try and just like call out to the people and to whomever it is, whoever your target is uh, to try and get electronic voice, you know, electronic voices to come back or do you utilize it through mediums uh, when you try to use, like use the EVPs? Well, you know, you know, we don't, you know, use EVP per se. I was just a personal interest, but mm-hmm. it's also um, effective, you know, in, in educating people about it because I want people to try it. It's, oh, yeah. I don't want to give them the impression they're just going to turn on a recorder. It's going to happen. Sometimes people try it for a year before they get anything. But some people, oddly enough, um, are able to get messages, you know, right away. Essentially, they're acting like mediums, you know, and, and um, like this particular person I was talking about happens to be a medium mm-hmm. and she gets EVP every time she turns on a recorder, you know, and, and other people that I know literally have tried for two, three years before that, but they got something. We always recommend, that's another reason that we recommend people record the readings because we hear more, more often than you might think that when the person goes home and they play back the recording tape from the session, they hear a voice. Right. That's, huh. that's something that, that's something I was thinking about when you were saying is like, I wonder if you recorded the medium session, you would hear like what the, the spirit or the entity is saying to the medium or is saying in response to that would be super fascinating. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, I, and I've heard recordings, um, uh, in that regard, I have a, a friend of mine, um, who's one of our associates in the, in the foundation and they had uh, lost, he had lost his son and he went, him and his, he and his wife went to a reading with a medium and they were recording the session and in the middle of the, um, of the reading, the medium said to my friend, uh, Nikki, his deceased son is going to um, have a talk to you very, very soon, you know? And he was like, okay, you know, that's, 
what does that mean? You know? Um, and then they went home and they played back the tape. And as soon as they heard the medium say that to him, that the Nikki's going to talk to you very soon, instantaneously, you heard, hi, mom, it's Nick. Oh, really wow. Clearly. Wow. <laughs> you know, like a class A, you know, example. So um, that was um, obviously very uh, emotional, you know, for, for my friend. Uh, and again, if you can eliminate the possibility of fraud that the medium somehow was using trickery, you know, which was a legitimate medium. I, I don't think that was the case. You know, it's quite extraordinary. It meant a lot to him. So would I mean, the the really good EVPs, those class A EVPs, yeah. um, do they most often actually sound like the person who's reportedly the one talking or does it sound like assembled words from radio shows? Um, it, it, it's both. You know, I've heard EVPs where the person swears it's in their voice. And I heard other ones that are um, like the ones I heard from my wife were not in my wife's voice. They were they sounded more like. You know, uh, computer generated. Right. Um, uh, but, um, you know, they answer a specific question, you know, mm. so it's not like you're picking up a stray, you know, radio signal, you know. Right. So um, it's, it's both ways. And I don't know how that works. But um, a lot of people say that it, that it sounds exactly like their loved one. Fascinating. That, that really is. And I, I'm definitely, because I have like, I, I have multiple recorders and equipment myself. I'm definitely going to try that now. Just at like asking questions towards like somebody just to see if I can get responses. Yeah. I, I think it's a good idea. You know, people say that the, the people that do this regularly, that you should pick a set time and do it the same time, like on a set schedule, Yeah, you know, whatever that is. And you're not turning it on for very long in 20, 30 seconds, you mm -hmm. know, that's it. And there are, um, you know, these enhancement software, you know, yeah. that's free that you can get on the internet and, you know, to, 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 to oh. help you, you know, pick oh, it up. I got that. I got oh, that oh. down. Don't worry. I edit I'm our sure shows. Rory's a bit of our audio file. Yeah. No, I have um, every intention of uh, like, even if I get like some lower, lower class EVPs, I'm going to filter them through and see if I can clean it up just to hear what it might be. If we get anything yeah. good, we'll send it your way. <laughs> So taking all of that in together, uh, obviously between the EVPs, the mediumship research, uh, do any concrete themes or elements seem to come up across these, I guess, reported information sources about what the spirit world looks like or I guess what existence on that side of reality might be like for them? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And and we get asked that a lot. And because that's what people want to know. Let's mm -hmm. face it. You know, what's yeah. the afterlife like, you know, and why do mediums never talk about that? I, I always thought that was strange. You know, one day I just said after it was like 10 years of doing this stuff, why is it that the medium never talks about, you know, what, what it's like? And I mean, the way I reason that is that the primary goal of a person in spirit is to let you, their loved one, know that they still exist. And they do that through evidence. And it's hard for a medium to pick up that thought transmission, put it into words. I mean, that's hard enough. But long descriptive narr narratives about what the afterlife realm is like, you know, that, that that's even more difficult. However, you know, back um, in history, there have been many, many uh, channeled reports through these trance mediums, you know, where the mediums um, would let their bodies be taken over by spirit. And they would, through automatic writing and through um, uh, 
you know, voice, they would um, be given like novels describing what the afterlife, you know, was like. And, um, and, and it was very prevalent, you know, back then you don't see it, you know, that much today. Uh, the consensus seems to be that, um, you know, it's, it's a world of, of thought and energy where you could manifest um, pretty much anything that you want. I mean, if you want to live in a house, you could manifest a house. I think that most of the reports are that um, there are different dimensions or you want to call it spheres or realms of existence. Um, and that's a steady um, uh, progression of, of enlightenment, if you want to call it, of learning, of growth. So even though you're a, you know, if you're a miserable person in this life and you pass over, the chances are that you will be among like-minded people. But mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you're condemned to any specific dimension or realm. You know, it just may take longer for you to grow. But you know, everybody grows. Mm -hmm. um, we get a lot of information about what the afterlife is like from near-death experiences. The accounts mm -hmm. are fascinating, where they uh, are, uh, they describe. Uh, like synesthesia of all the all the uh, the senses being commingled, and um, you know the, the flowers talk to them, and there's music, and there's you know beauty and colors colors that they they can't put into words, um, and um, and and they come back you know changed you know um, because they uh, not only do they see their deceased loved ones, but they get. Um, uh, sort of downloaded with all of this, you know, knowledge that they, you know, didn't have before. Um, and for many near-death experiences, when they're told, and many of them, if they're, if we're resusc resuscitating them, they were told to come back that it wasn't their time. Um, you know, if, if they weren't told that we wouldn't have their reports. Um, and they, um, they're really pissed, a lot of them, you know, because they're, <laughs> they're in this blissful existence where they're not in pain in, anymore. And now they're coming back into this physical body in this dense existence. And um, and it's not pleasant. You know, they want to be where they were. You know, <laughs> every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or the, you know, why? You know, and, you know, so the spiritualist explanation may be, well, they're there's more work for them to do. They didn't complete what they were, you know, sent here for and so forth. And you can think about that the way you like, but it is a common occurrence for near-death experiences, you know, that they, they report being told, usually by some will describe a, a deceased loved one telling them that. Sometimes it's a um, a religious icon, which is interesting because, you know, people in the United States might say they saw I mean, let's say a person is relig religious and they're Catholic, so they might say that they were met by Jesus. Or if you go in another country, they might say they were met by Gandhi or Muhammad or, you know, any, you know, religious, you know, icon. It's all about putting things into our frame of reference, you know, talking. They have the same experience, but they have to try to put it into concepts that they that they understand. So somebody in the white light, they somebody might see one entity and somebody might see another. But but the consensus is the same, you know, and they're told, um, you know, to, to come back that it's not quite their time. I experienced that with as my wife was in hospice, you know, and you know, at one point near the end, you know, she said to me, there's a line, you know, and I said, what do you mean? I mean, there's a line of people. And she says, no, 
there's a line and they won't let me cross the line, you know, and I, I knew what she meant, you know, that for some reason, which I actually made me angry because I wanted the suffering to be over, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what across the line, I mean, what, what is left to be learned when your body is ravaged um, and, you know, the, you, you know, quality of life is no longer an issue. You just want to be out of pain. Um, you know, having gone through that, I have a new appreciation for, um, for people that, um, that, you know, uh, that don't tell their loved ones, you have to fight, you have to fight, you have to keep on. The medical doctors are taught that, you know, you have to, you have to, um, keep life going at all costs. You know, there reaches a point where it's time, you know, Mm -hmm. it's time you got to stop, you know, so, you know, so, and then, you know, but I have friends, they'll say to me, no, there was a purpose and you learned a lot from the, you know, the suffering and it affected you and how you interact with people. And I I don't, I can't really see that, you know, so, but, but I digress. And, you know, I tell you um, one other thing you might find somewhat amusing is that when my mother was, was near the end, um, we were, she was sitting in a reclining chair and, and the family was sitting in a semicircle in chairs in front of the recliner. And there was an empty chair directly in front of her. And all of a sudden she started looking at the chair and all of a sudden she reached out her arms and she said, mom, mom. And she started talking to her deceased mother. And the other people in the family were saying, oh, my, you know, it's the pain medication or my, my mother's hallucinating. But Fran and I, this is our world. We knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And then my father had been in another room and he walked into the room and he saw the empty chair and he sat down in the chair and my mother, as sick as she was, started flipping out. Get up, get up, get up. Get up. He didn't know that he sat on his mother. You know, so my father was like all bewildered, you know, and scurried off, but he didn't know why. And I had a hard time explaining to him, but I think that, um, I've come to, come to the conclusion um, and talk to people that are administrators and doctors in hospice, and I'll tell you the same thing, that we all, whether we're able to communicate it or not, uh, because of, you know, physical or mental infirmity, I think that we all have escorts, you know, when it's our time t- to cross. It happens consistently, you mm-hmm. know, to ignore it, you know, it's it just prevalent. Well, fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. And you're right. That was hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, when you were talking there for a bit, you mentioned trance mediumship. Uh, and one yeah. of the things we wanted to ask you about is an element of uh, Leslie Keen's book that we were deeply fascinated with, which is the phenomenon of physical mediumship. Yeah. Uh, does the foundation do any sorts of investigation or accrediting of physical mediums? And what are your thoughts on the phenomenon? Um, no, we don't, you know, and, and, you know, I've, I've obviously read, you know, tons and tons of books of physical mediumship and I'm well versed in it. And I was curious uh, because none of the mediums that come to us, you know, over the past 20 years are either trans mediums or physical mediums. But I I needed to form an opinion. So my wife and I got invited to a seance by a uh, uh, a physical medium, one of the few in the world today and he's European, but he was in the United States. And, you know, we went and we sat in the seance and, you know, these physical mediums refuse to work under light, you know, and the explanation is that, you know, light um, 
affects the ectoplasm, which is a you know material mm-hmm. that is produced from these various orifices in their body, and um, it can affect them um, physically, and they could be harmed or or worse, you know, from the light. I've also read accounts um, back in history of, of extraordinary physical mediums that conducted seances in full light. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. I ne- never was able to equate how they were able to do it and others, you know, can't. But this particular medium did not allow light. So you're sitting in total darkness, um, holding hands with the people, you know, in the circle. And sometimes they'll, for very brief periods of time, they'll turn on a very, very, very dim red light. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while I was sitting there, um, you know, you may have read about these the, the trumpets that they use, which are basically mm-hmm. like cardboard cylinders, you know, call it a trumpet. But they put reflective tape on one end and these the trumpet levitates the round, around the room. And I got to tell you, I, w- I was smacked. I t- really smacked with that trumpet like about 10 times in my chest, in my head, in my <laughs> face. Like, you know, whoa. You know? Yeah. So, um and uh, I saw things, you know, levitating and so forth. But I walked out of there and I still had the same feeling it was either I witnessed something that was incredible or I was taken in by a total fraud. Right. And I could not attest to one way or the other. I wasn't given permission to examine the room before or after, you know, so I walked away somewhat empty because I, I I was had no more information than when they arrived. It's either incredible, you know, or it's not, you know, I mean, there are fraudulent techniques that people, you know, can use. Um, so um, that was my only experience, but there are many accounts from sources that are very trustworthy, some Nobel prize winners and, and, and leaders in, in the medical field and, um, uh, and scholars, uh, Supreme Court judges that witnessed these things and, and swore that, you know, they were real. And, you know, the, and the mediums produce all the, these physical phenomena, airports that come out, you know, lights and noises, you know, bangs and, and so forth. Uh, and then they usually go into a trance, a full trance. And the medium, like this particular medium, somebody, a spirit entity took over his body and was speaking um, through him. Um, and then, of, of course, the medium claims afterwards that he had absolutely no idea, you know, of what happened. You know, evidently there's full trance and there's light trance because there are some mediums today that I've encountered that go into a light trance and they are conscious of everything that went on, you know, but it's still somebody taking over their their vocal cords. So um, I don't know why uh, I've asked it to a million people, you know, why there are so few physical mediums today where there were so many in the past. And there's a lot of different explanations, but um, uh, it really is an incredible thing. I know Leslie, as, as you met, referenced, uh, she uh, sat with uh, Stuart Alexander mm-hmm. in England very uh, a few times and walked away, you know, as an independent observer, totally convinced that, you know, this stuff was real. Well, thank you for that. Now, moving into our, our last couple questions here, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about your book, Medium Explosion. We haven't had a chance yet to read it, though we will be a, a bit down the line. Um, but for anyone out there looking to uh, find a new book to read, what can the reader expect to find within the pages of your book? 
Well, it's kind of a, a guidebook to mediumship. I mean, I start out with the assessing um, well, some of what we were talking about today, how there is a proliferation of mediums that are just exploding all over the place. And I talk about the reasons people go to see mediums and a little bit of the evidence for life after death. Then it's pretty much a handbook of maybe, you know, 30 questions that people commonly ask about the process. Um, but I thought I also thought it was important to um, for the last part of the book, uh, I put about probably about 15 personal experiences that I had experiences that I think, you know, are backed up by the research, you know, um, and, you know, knowing where I was, you know, as a, an open-minded skeptic to where I am today, I thought it was important, you know, and, and a lot of these experiences, you know, I, one day somebody had asked about a, a book that we were going to write many years ago. And they asked me to pull out my notes because I would take notes on all these experiences I would have. I was so crazy that I actually took all of these, uh, what I thought were extraordinary experiences. And I went to a statistician and I had the statistician calculate the odds against chance of each one of these things happening. And after I had 20 occurrences, each with odds against chances of over a million to one, I relented. <laughs> the most logical explanation is simply that, you know, there's life after death. So I, I you know, I, I put a lot of those experiences um, in uh, in the in the book. And, and uh, uh, so it's really uh, it's not it's not war and peace. You know, it, it's, it's more of a, of, a, of a handbook. But I think it's it's important because it, it addresses, um, you know, the world of mediumship and what mm -hmm. people should you know, how they should act and not act and how mediums can do what they claim. Now, personally, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm very excited to read it just because I'm fascinated by mediums in general. Um, and the whole idea of, you know, life after death, obviously, I think, I, I think you're silly if you're not fascinated by it, but I'm so fascinated by it that I, I'm excited to, uh, to read your book. And when I found out it existed, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. We'll do it. We'll, we'll do it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's already on the schedule. Yeah. Now, now on the topic of the book uh, and the obviously the title medium explosion, do you have any theories or ideas about what might be causing the recent surge in numbers? Is it just, Oh, look, these are popular on the discovery channel. Let's go be mediums. Or is there something more to it? I think that, um, yeah, a lot of it has to do with the popularity of mediumship. You know, mediums have gotten their TV shows, you know, mm -hmm. and then become some of them became, you know, insanely popular. Um, and then, you know, mediums started playing arenas where, you know, when 30,000 people and, you know, and, and movies and uh, the media frenzy and then people with a little bit of intuitive ability saying, hey, you know, I could do that, you know, and I'm going to go be a medium, you know, because they'll go and, and, you know, they'll talk to their friend and their friend said, wow, that's pretty interesting. You should be a medium. And they do that. Or, you know, I don't mean want to be cynical, but a lot of people, they go to for a reading with the medium and the medium says to you, you know, you can do this work. And lo and behold, that person's taking classes and paying for classes with that medium on mediumship development. You know? But um, I, I think that yeah, I, I think that the, that that's the main you know reason for it. you know people. First of all, they're fascinated by the subject, but um, a lot of people um, because we all have intuitive ability, you know, mm -hmm. in various uh, varying degrees. 
Um, and uh, people have a misconception. I try to drive home the fact that mediumship is very, very serious business and it comes with a lot of responsibility Mm -hmm. and don't go into it lightly because you're sitting with some very fragile people and you better know what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not something that you just go in on on a whim and that's what's happening today. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think, you know, needs to be corrected. It's so funny that you said like the mediums will tell, tell like the sitter that they could be mediums because that's happened. Like I, when I went to a session, I was like, I know I'm so interested in this. I expected somebody to say that to me. They never said it to me, but they've said it to two of my friends who had no interest (laughs) in, in mediumship. And I'm just like, come on. (laughs) You want it too badly. The narrative demands you can't have it. Yeah, I guess. So (laughs) now I, I got to imagine though, the surge in people trying to be mediums who maybe don't have the ability or they haven't developed the ability it it makes it so much easier for people who don't know the research who aren't uh, invested in it like obviously all four of us are here um to write it off and so i I, have you run into many of those people the uh, professional skeptics and debunkers out there who say well nothing your foundation has done is real so i don't need to talk to you or anything (laughs) like that you know, we've been fighting that since we started. I mean, you know, uh, you know, by definition, you know, we're woo to mainstream science. You know, right? We have um, we have a, um, a scientific advisory board on the foundation that is made up of, of mostly medical doctors. They're either medical doctors or PhDs that have devoted um, substantial parts of their career to these investigations, and they're kind of heroes because they have met. Uh, with um, brick walls. It's affected their academic standing. Um, they don't get published in peer-reviewed journals. You know, they they get scrutinized and dismissed at, you know, at, at these uh, gatherings and professional uh, conventions and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, whenever you, you are fighting the mainstream, look, if if some of these things that we're talking about turns out to be true, then these um, scientists it invalidates their entire education. You know, they base their careers on, on certain principles. And, and if you find out that they're wrong, um, you know, that their, their entire careers are in jeopardy. So it's understandable that, that they'll fight it. But yeah, I mean, we, we fight a lot of those things, the misconceptions and, and um, religion plays a big part too, mm-hmm. you know, because people are taught by their religion that you're not supposed to, investigate these things it's okay for them to do it but not for you right so um when people that are religious um you know frown upon you know you know this this kind of work so but but i see it changing i I see there's more of an awareness and an openness to the way it was you know 20 years ago Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it's becoming uh more uh, acceptable. I, I I recommend that everybody should be an open-minded skeptic, but mm-hmm. being an open-minded skeptic is a lot different than being a closed-minded skeptic. You know, one of the scientists was once said, this is, this is the stuff I wouldn't believe even if it was true. There's a scientist saying that, right? You know, yeah. so it kind of, you know, uh, defeats the, the definition of science, you know, they call it scientism. Uh, but, um, but I think that um, and I also urge people not to think of everything as a sign from their loved one. Not everything is, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that believes that um, 
that there are coincidences. You know, I know a lot of people in the spiritual community, that's the first thing they'll say, there is no such thing as a coincidence, you know, that everything is the way it should be. I don't personally believe that. I think that some things are coincidences. Other things are synchronicities that are mm-hmm. organized. Um, but, uh, you know, if you take everything as a sign from your loved one, it kind of um, dilutes the uh, power of the really true communications and signs that you get. Right. You know, so take everything and examine everything, rule out the physical explanation like I did, um, and then, you know, make your own conclusion. You know, if you saw the Netflix film, there's a, uh, I, we gave Netflix a, um, a, a film clip that my wife shot. We were talking about my, my daughter and we walked into our kitchen and we had a series of nine hi-hats in the kitchen. And if you if you look at the film, you'll see that there's like a July 4th light show going on in our kitchen. You know, lights on and off and on and off, which had never happened in the, you know, the 10 or 15 years that we had been living there. And then it stopped. And then another light show, you know, for another five, 10 minutes of that. And then, so of course me, even after all those years, the nine o'clock the next morning, I had an electrician in the house yeah. and I had him take down every single, every one of those nine hi-hats and take out every switch, every, every light switch and everything was functioning, you know, perfectly. Um, and it never, you know, as I said, it never happened before and it never happened in the years after. So that's something that I ruled out the physical explanations. Mm-hmm. And we happened to be talking about my daughter and then we got a hello. That I will accept as an after death communication, yeah. you know, but not everything is. Yeah. So, uh, no, that, ma- that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And on those wise words, I think we're going to move into our last question, which is one I'm sure, pretty sure you're used to hearing. Uh, where can people find your work and what's next for Bob and the Forever Family Foundation? Well, um, the foundation is um, foreverfamilyfoundation.org. Um, the, um, I write a personal blog on beyondthefivesenses.com. Uh, the book is The Medium Explosion. Uh, if anybody uh, wants to email me, my email address is robert at foreverfamilyfoundation.org. And uh, I just, um, I just, as for the future, I don't know. Um, I, I just continue plugging along. You know, my wife put all the pieces in place for the foundation and I'm just picking up where she left off and it's kind of you know, running itself. And the interest is, has been good. We, we've added 1500 new members this year. And oh, wow. That's awesome. Is, is, you know, populated. I mean, our radio show has more listeners and our webinars have more attendance. And, you know, fortunately, you know, donations, you know, are up. So things are, it just shows you that people appreciate the work. Um, they're happy that they have a resource that, you know, where they're not going to be ridiculed or labeled or judged and they can explore these things. So um, I tell you one thing I'd like to do in the future is write a children's book because uh, about, you know, with the, an afterlife theme, you know, because that's something uh, I think might be helpful to some people. But. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that as someone who experienced some losses early on, the children's books that are out there on the subject are not very good. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, I think that that brings us to the end of our time. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us. This was fascinating. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, this was great. I hope you had fun. It was my pleasure. I had fun too. You guys ask a lot of good questions. So I appreciate that. (laughs) All right. Great. Well, I think that's it. So have a great night. You too. Take care. 